Hey, what is the first thing that you think about when you think about church? What's the, now, don't, what, I'm actually going to ask for a little feedback today. Um, I'm going to ask you to shout it out in just a second. But what is um, the first thing that you think about uh, when you think about church? All right, now, now let's not get too spiritual, okay? I don't want the spiritual in Jesus. Somebody's got Jesus, you know, immediately. We got that one covered. Um, but, but, you know, what is, um, what is the first thing that you think about when you think about church? Shout it out. Somebody shout out something out loud. People, okay? I got people. Worship. Grace. What else? Family. Prayer. Prayer. What's the first thing that you think about when you think about church? I know for me growing up, um, one of the things I, I, I immediately, immediately thought about was um, stained glass and steeples. Anybody grow up with a stained glass windows in your church and, and big, tall steeples in, in, in the sky? Um, how, how many of you grew up in, in a church? It was a red carpet on, on the church. The, you remember when churches used to have carpet? Bless God. Um, churches, most churches actually have carpet. Um, we, 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 um, we could afford it, but we don't, we don't like it, you know, so we just, we just do. We do, the, we, do the, we do the bare, raw concrete, yeah, because, because we're bougie. We're too, we're too hip for uh, carpet. But I grew up in church, red carpet all over the place, all up on the stage. Um, and the pews, we had padded pews padded pews with, with red padded pews, a fabric that went. Some of y'all don't know what a pew is. Um, a pew is like this long wooden bench, and there's many in rows inside a sanctuary. And uh, the gr great thing about, I remember being a kid growing up in church, um, and I would sleep on pews because the sermons were boring, okay? And I remember sleeping, remember sleeping on pews. Um, I was young. I really, really didn't know what was going on. I remember uh, getting the tithing envelopes out of the back. They had little slots in the back of the pews, and you could, and they had the, remember the little pencils? AT, you remember the little pencils in the back? Uh, grab little pencils, and you start to draw and color on, on the tithing envelopes, you know? And y'all are like, what's a tithing envelope? You know, uh, um, and, uh, and, then there were, and then there were hymnals, hymnals in, in the back of the pew you had a little you had a little little box they made like little boxes on the back and you had a pew bible and then you had a, a hymnal and a hymnal is their hymns it's full of hymns and a, not hers hymns but what's a hymn um a hymn is a song a hymn is a song. It's basically a songbook, okay? And they, they had all these, I mean, like, I remember I had like 500 songs in there, and the, the, music, the music minister would stand up and say, if, open your hymn book to 576, How Great Thou Art. You know, if you find it. And you, yeah. before, they had fancy, before we had fancy screens and technology and, and all that. Anybody miss, anybody miss the carpet in your childhood uh, church? Um, there's a lot of things that we think about when we think um, about church, um, whatever that com comes to your mind. Maybe it's programs, maybe it's ministries, maybe it is events, maybe it is resources, maybe it's churches like this religious institution that's responsible for the moral maintenance of society or something like that. Some of you think about negative things, you know, honestly, re related to church and maybe your experience in church and what you have gone through and what has happened to you. Some of you think about church as like some kind of religious clique and people that are judgmental or hypocritical or whatever. A lot of things that come to mind when we think about church. When we look at the early church, this first church in the book of Acts in the first century, one of the things that you notice about this early church experience is that they were the least powerful force in society, meaning as an institution, they had zero political power. Somebody say zero. They had zero political power. They, they had zero political sway. Um, they had zero political or uh, uh, military uh, dominance. 
Uh, they really didn't actually have many resources when you think of actually financial resources and even buildings and institutions and, and other things. In many ways, they were the least powerful force in society, but they were actually the most powerful force um, in society. And historians would tell us that even after the first couple centuries of in the Roman Empire, that upwards of half of the entire Roman Empire were followers of Jesus, followed the way of Jesus, and this Messiah, this man, Jesus Christ, would follow him upwards of half of the entire Roman Empire without any political prominence, without any military dominance. But it is because they had power. They had power. And for you and I, I think we need to get to a point where we recognize the church is not just something that fosters programs. It's not just a religious institution that uh, helps us to raise our kids so they don't grow up to be drug dealers. But the church is more than the church is the most powerful force in society. The church of Jesus Christ, and it's a bold claim, I know, is the most powerful force in a society. And so we're in Acts chapter 12 today, and here's the title for the sermon. If you're taking notes, the title is this, The Power of Prayer. The power of prayer. And what we see in this early church is the way that they accessed this power in order to be the most powerful force in society was through prayer. It was through prayer. And in Acts chapter 12, what we're getting ready to read is there is immense persecution against the apostles, these leaders of the church, all Christians. There is great opposition from the Roman government against the church. They want to shut it down. They want to destroy it. Not because um, Rome was, was against spirituality or because Rome was against religion. There were actually many different religions, many different ideologies, many different spiritualities in the first century, and that was actually welcomed. It was a polytheistic society, which means many gods, and many religions. The thing about the Christian religion, the reason why Rome wanted to shut it down is because it was causing havoc in the empire. It was causing chaos in culture. You like how I did that with the empire and the culture right there? That was, that was pretty good, wasn't it, A.T.? Um, they were a disruptive force in society because when they came with the way of Jesus, it was so contrary to the way of the world. So they would talk about things like justice. They would talk about things like love and unity and peace and forgiveness and that the way to know God is through Jesus Christ. And it was disruptive in society. It was disruptive in culture. And these early Christians were, they were tried to sh be shut down by the Roman leaders. And in this passage, right on the hills of Antioch, Herod, one of the Roman governors, actually persecutes the church, these apostles, these leaders. And it tells us in the first few verses that he actually kills James. He kills one of the Christians uh, because of their because of their faith and because of what they are doing. And then it tells us that Peter, who is really the lead apostle among the 12, they actually take Peter and they throw Peter into prison. And this is where we find it. Uh, this is where we find in verse chapter five of, um, verse five of chapter 12. It says this. Just to give you a heads up, I'm going to read this story. It's, it's an incredible story. And then once we're done with the story, I'm going to give you several um, applications and points related to prayer. If you're with me, say Amen. Amen. Here we go. It says this. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by what? By the church. Peter is in prison and the church is in prayer. 
Peter is in prison and the church is in prayer. Verse six. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. How many of you, you get thrown into prison and you go to sleep the first night? Peter's sleeping. He's out cold. He, some, of, some of y'all can't sleep in your, in your amazing mattress in your air-conditioned home. And Peter's like, knock, he's out cold in, in a prison, sleeping on the floor in between two soldiers. He must, he, must, he must trust God. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Get this, bound with two chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. Does that not seem a little a bit much for a Galilean prophet and preacher? I mean, I mean, I mean Herod's, Herod's like, we got this wild preacher. Let's put him in jail and make sure we lock him up with two chains connected to two soldiers and put him in the prison and then guard the prison. Like, Herod, this shows us that Herod had some insecurities. It shows us that Herod, as the political dominating ruler in that area, was actually threatened by the followers of Jesus. Isn't that a powerful point? Is anybody in Wilmington threatened by, the fo- by followers of Jesus and the movement of Jesus? In, in the sense of recognizing what the church can do and the power that the church has. Herod's insecure. I mean, he's, he's locking him up. He's, he's putting chains on him. I mean, he's just a Galilean fisherman, for crying out loud. And then it says this, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. <laughs> an angel shows up. An angel shows up in the, in the jail cell. An angel of the Lord um, stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. It's a heavenly light, a glorious light. It shows up in the cell. And he struck Peter. He struck Peter on the side. Kind of wonder how hard he hit him. And he woke him saying, get up quickly. Get up, Peter. Hey, get up. It's time to go. And get this, the chains fell off his hands. Can I just say this? This isn't really in the sermon, but you will never make progress in the Christian life or in your spiritual life if you don't believe and recognize and acknowledge the supernatural. All right, we, we get to a point where we like operate by logic and we operate by reason and everything makes sense and we make decisions based on which there's nothing wrong with logic and reason. But there, there, there's one way of living according to the natural and there's nothing wrong with living that way. There's an entirely different way of living, which is living according to the supernatural. As Pastor Chris would say, put a little super on your natural. We have to recognize that there is a God, a most high God. He made Can I say this? He made the freaking universe for crying out loud. God God did that, okay? Why do we think God's power has stopped? Why do we think God no longer wants to do anything? A miracle is when God um, supersedes the natural with his supernatural. And God does that all the time. But we live our lives as if the only thing that we have is the natural. Not living according to the supernatural. And this early church, well, well, this early church was so consumed and moved and just filled with with the supernatural. At every moment, the way that an entire empire gets changed and transformed to being Jesus lovers and Jesus followers is by the supernatural. It will not happen any other way. I just feel like I got to stay right there. I just, it will not happen any other way. We cannot write songs enough, songs that are good enough to change people's hearts. I cannot preach sermons good enough to change people's lives. It takes the supernatural. That's what it takes. You need the supernatural 
in your life. You need God to show up. You need God to show up in that prison cell. God to show up in that relationship. God to show up in that diagnosis. God to show up in that situation. So an angel shows up and the chains fell off his hands. Verse eight. And the angel said to him, dress yourself. Everybody else is still sleeping. Put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know what was being done by the angel was real. Peter's like, am I dreaming right now? (laughs) Peter's like, this is next level. I mean, is this really happening right now? Angel's taking him outside the prison and Peter's wondering if it's real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. Verse 10. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they're just walking by people. They came to the iron gate leading into the city, the iron gate at the end of the prison. It opened for them of its own accord. It's like walking into Walmart. Those doors just opened right away. Those doors didn't open. These prison doors didn't open because of motion sensors at the door. They opened because of the supernatural hand of God opened them. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along the street, and immediately the angel left him. <laughs> the angel's like, I'm done. It's like, he gone. Um, and when Peter came to himself, it took him a, took him a minute took him a minute to recognize what was going on. And he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people, uh, all that the Jewish people were expecting. Now verse 12, we'll continue. It gets fun now. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary. Somebody say Mary. Mary. He went to Mary's house. This is an important point right here. Mary had a home. Mary owned some real estate and Mary is using her house for the sake of ministry. The church is actually gathered together at Mary's house, the mother of John, who was other's name was Mark, and many were gathered together and were praying. Which, by the way, thank God for a Mary. Thank God for a woman of faith. Thank God for a woman who's going to use the resources that God has given her and her gifts and her skills for the sake of ministry. She's doing a prayer gathering in her house. She is leading like a beast. Can we just thank God for all the women in our church that are doing amazing ministry all the time and are leading in such a powerful way? By the way, we want to empower women in ministry at the bridge. We want to champion women. We want to get behind you. Um, If you are a a woman and you feel called to ministry or anything that God has put uh, in you, you are a beast and we got your back. All right. We're with you. I love this. Mary, she's open in her home. Verse 13. And when he knocked at the door and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy. She did not open the gate but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Peter's like, somebody let me in, please, for crying out loud. Like, I'm standing out here. And she's like, so excited that Peter's there. She forgets to let him in, and she runs inside. And this is what happens in verse 15. They said to her, you are out of your mind. She's like, Peter's here, Peter's here, Peter's here. And they're like, you, get out of here. You are out of your mind, which tells you something about these people weren't perfect prayers, by the way. <laughs> they were praying, and they were shocked that their prayer was answered. You ever prayed like that? Like you pray and then you're you're actually shocked that it actually happens. It shows that you're not praying in faith. You know, when when your prayer is answered, there should be no shock because you were believing in it. You You were ready for it to happen. They said, you're out of your mind, but she kept insisting it was so. And they kept saying, it's an angel. But Peter continued knocking. He kept knocking. Please let me in. It's cold out here. 
And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. They were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he said, quiet down, quiet down. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He told them the whole story. And he said, tell these things to James and the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Peter's like, I got to go. There's work to be done. Let me give you several points on the power of prayer. From this text, the power of prayer. The first thing that I notice is that while Peter is in a odd, challenging predicament, the church is in prayer, immediately in prayer. Here's point number one. Prayer should be the first resort, not the last resort. Prayer should be the first resort, not the last resort. Peter's in prison. They immediately think, we got to pray. We got to get some people together. We got to get together. Where are we going to go? Let's go to Mary's house. Let's go to Mary's house. We need, we need to pray. And they're praying. Their, their first inclination, their, their reflex, their first spiritual reflex is to pray. Like, we got to pray on this thing. We got to get together on this thing. We got to pray. 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 It wasn't their last resort after everything didn't work and then they decided to pray. It was their first resort. How many things do you do in your life in the challenges that you face before you get to prayer? Or is prayer number one for you? Do you submit it to the Lord first? Do you call your mom first? Um, do you Google it first and look up all the symptoms and then look up all the solutions for your situation? Or do you submit it to prayer first? We got to we gotta, we gotta be people where prayer, prayer is the first resort. It's not the last resort. Um, I love that we do this as, as a staff team. Even our staff team, for the last few years, we've had this value that we pray before we plan. We pray virtually every meeting that our staff does. Virtually every meeting be begins in prayer. It doesn't even have to be a super long prayer, but we're going to submit it to the Lord in prayer. Before we put together our wisdom, before we make our plans, before we think and make decisions, we're going to submit this thing to prayer. And we're going to pray for unity. We're going to pray for togetherness on this. We're going to pray for faith, and we're going we're to walk in this. Prayer should be the first resort, not the last resort. This church is in prayer over Peter and the situation that is happening. Reminds me of my granny. I think I've told y'all stories before my granny. My granny's still living. She's this amazing uh, woman, this fiery Jesus follower, um, lives in South Carolina. Um, I don't know that she's watching me today, but granny, if you are, I love you. Um, but my granny, she's, um, she grew up Pentecostal holiness. And so she, her entire life, she was Pentecostal holiness. She lives in South Carolina outside of a little town called um, Johnsonville in a little community called Vox. She lives in Vox, and there's a highway in front of her house that's, that's called Vox Highway. And so many summers and so many weekends and so many days we would spend time over at Granny's. Huge, amazing laurel oak trees in her front yard and then a pecan or pecan grove out on the back uh, behind her house. Um, just pecans for days and days and days. And uh, I remember so many times being at her house, and everything had to do with prayer. Everything had to do with prayer. An ambulance would be driving down the highway with the sirens on and Granny would be like, we're gonna stop and we're gonna pray. We need to pray for whoever that is. In a small community, it's probably somebody you know. We would stop, we didn't matter if we were in the middle of eating or middle of playing or what, we're gonna stop and pray. And we'd stop and we'd pray over that ambulance and where it was going. I, don't, I remember so many times being at her home and 
Um, I don't think I have ever been to her home where the phone didn't ring and somebody in the, in the community was calling, or somebody from church calling and asking her to pray over a situation. I mean, the phone would ring. We'd be like, well, somebody's calling, asking for prayer. Y'all better, y'all better get ready to pray because that's what we're about to do. Literally, the phone would ring and Aunt Thelma or somebody would be on the other line and we need to pray for Uncle Jack and we need to pray for this situation and we just, somebody's going to the hospital or whatnot and we would stop what we were doing and she's Pentecostal holiness. We do a little Pentecostal prayer. We'd get in the living room, we'd stop everything and, and we'd start praying. And the way Pentecostals pray is everybody prays at the same time. They all pray. I remember being a little kid being like, what's going on right now? I was like, whose turn is it? Is it my turn? Is it your turn? And everybody, they just start praying, you know? which is a great idea. I think more prayers are more powerful. You know, They just start praying over that thing. And in her mind, her immediate spiritual reflex to any situation was prayer because she recognized that there was power in prayer. And there was something about praying and what prayer could accomplish that nothing else could accomplish. This church here, their, their first resort was prayer. It wasn't their last resort. Here's, here's another one. You see that the church in verse five, it says that they're together and they are praying earnestly, which can we just acknowledge that's a little bit of a weird word we don't use very often. Earnestly. What does that mean? Earnestly. Uh, the, the Greek lexicon would say that earnestly means an unceasing activity, normally involving a degree of intensity and or perseverance. You can translate it without ceasing or continuously or constantly. When I think about that, when I thought about that this week, I've thought about Niagara Falls. Any of you ever seen that before? You ever been? I've never been there, but I've heard about it. And people talk about the way that you feel and you can feel the wind and you can feel the mist and you can just hear the sound of millions of gallons of water just pouring over the cliff into the bottom. The water flows there over that cliff, over that edge, into the bottom, unceasingly, uninterruptedly, over and over and over again. That's what earnest means. Earnest means it's going to be continuous. It's going to be intense. It's going to be regular. We're going to do this. And this is the kind of prayer that the church was doing. So, so here's, here's, here, here's the next point. It's not only critical that we pray, it's also critical how we pray. It's also critical how we pray. I don't know, some of you, you're like just trying to get to pray. And I, and I feel you, okay? Just trying to get to pray, which, which just getting there, it's, that's a good thing. But once you get there, it's important that we think about how we pray and that we're praying earnestly. We're praying fervently, it says in, in the scriptures, that we're really devoted to the, this thing. Now, let me just say that there's a couple different, um, I would say, you know, it's, it's interesting, Hillary, whenever you pray with people, it's like a window into their soul. You kind of get a little glimpse of like kind of what they think and what they believe and what they think about God. And it actually comes out in, in their, their prayer, which is going to make all of you um, self-conscious the next time that you pray uh, with me. I understand that. It's okay. Um, but there, you got some people on, on this side. These are our faith folks over here. And they're just declaring it in the name of Jesus and they're just believing it and they're asking God for bold stuff and amazing stuff. And they're saying, God, you got the power. God, you love us. God, you're this. You're the great healer. You're the this. And they're just praying bold and amazing prayers, which is great. And then you got some people over on this side and they're like the, they're like the sovereignty prayers. All right. They never ask for anything. They just say, Lord, um, whatever your will is in this situation, we will trust your will and we will obey. And it, it's like, it, it's not like right or wrong. 
You know, Jesus, even in the garden, he would say, not my will, but thy will be done, which means he's surrendering his will to the will of the Father in in every situation in, in, in his life. But then there's also a reality of praying in faith and speaking to the mountain and saying, get up and be thrown into the sea having some authority in your prayers and having some boldness in your prayers and actually calling out to God for who, who, who he is. It's important not only that we pray, but how we pray. And I love this. So, so, so many of us are so intimidated by prayer. It's hard for us to pray. It's hard for us to remember to pray. It's hard for us to make time to pray. I love that so many times in the scriptures you see people praying together. You don't have to do it on your own. You, you don't have to be, be alone. I, I pray best when I'm with some people, when I'm with some people. And, and, and it's, almost like a little, uh, it's almost like a little tennis match, you know? We send it kind of right back and forth, back and forth, and we kind of help one another. I love this. I love this about the church. It, it's, it's important how you pray. And if you don't know how to pray, get around some people that do know how to pray. That's how you learn. Prayer is more caught than taught. Just get around some people. Get around some people that know. Where's Miss? Is Miss I don't see Miss Marva. You get around Miss Marva um, in, in our church. Um, she's in, in my community group. You get around Miss Marva. Um, you'll, you'll start learning how to pray. You'll start learning how to, how to pray. And the way she talks to God and the way that she believes in God. And you can tell that she knows who God is. And she's going to reach out to him um, and who he is as God. It's not only critical that we pray. It's critical how we pray. I'll put another verse on it. James 5, 16 says this, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was human as we are, speaking of the prophet in the Old Testament. Elijah was human as we are, yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And James's point is, why don't we do that? If Elijah did it, why don't we do that? And we're like, well, we're not a pastor. Well, we're not a prophet. We're not Elijah. We're not this. We're not this. We're not this. And James is like, I don't care. It worked for Elijah. Why can't it work for us? Elijah had earnest prayer. He had intense prayer. He had belief in his prayer, faithful prayers. And he was a righteous man living in a righteous way. And God heard his prayers. And it literally didn't rain for three and a half years, which is what he prayed. Imagine that kind of prayer, that kind of boldness. And James says we should pray like that. I love what Mark Batterson says. Bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers. God loves bold prayers. God's not intimidated by your bold prayers. He's not like, whoa, settle down there. Oh, that's a little too much there. Okay, let's not get carried away. All right, oh, God doesn't do that. God, like, when you pray bold prayers, God's like, okay, now, now, you, know, now you know who you're talking to. Okay, now you understand who I am and what I can do. I, pre- I honor that. That's what God does. God loves bold prayers. God loves to honor bold prayers. And then I love what happens. Peter's sitting there in his jail cell, He's, he's basically unconscious. He has no clue what's going on. And while he is lying there, while he is sitting there in the jail cell, the, the chains fell off him. The chains, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He didn't have a key. He didn't break them off. He didn't ask for one of the guards to do it. While he was sitting in his situation, the chains fell off. The chains fell off even in the middle of that prison cell, which teaches us this. There are no chains prayer can't break. There are no chains prayer can't, can't break. And I know I've prayed for some of you this week. And some of you said, I struggle with a bipolar um, syndrome. And I, I struggle with depression. And I struggle with addiction. And I've got this relationship. And I've got this upcoming job. And I've got this situation. And I've got this situation. Hear me when I say this. There, is, there are no chains that prayer cannot break. 
There is no situation that is too far for God. There is no situation that is too hard for God. There is nothing outside of God's control. The point is we have to believe it. We have to believe it. And God isn't a genie in a bottle that's just going to give you anything that you want. But we got to start recognizing that God has no limits when it comes to prisons. God has no limits when it comes to chains. God has no limits when it comes to mental health. God has no limits when it comes to physical health. God has no limits when it comes to financial health. God has no limits when it comes to relational health or spiritual health. And God is in the business of showing up and doing the miraculous. And God wants us to pray earnestly like this. I love what Tony Evans says. He says, there is no earthly problem that doesn't have a heavenly solution. There's no earthly problem that doesn't have a heavenly solution. God can do anything. It reminds me of a song, Pastor Chris. Anybody remember singing that song as a kid? God God can do anything but fail. God can do anything. He's he's limitless in his his power. There is no situation that is beyond his scope. There's nothing too far for him. And the problem is most of y'all don't believe that right now. The problem is some of you watching online right now don't believe that. For whatever reason, you have put an asterisk by your name. You have put an asterisk by your situation with a caveat that says it can't happen to me. For that thing in your life, that thing that you are struggling with, that thing that is a challenge to you, have you gotten some people together? Have you hosted a prayer meeting for that? Maybe you've been thinking about it. Maybe you've been praying about it. Maybe you've been on your face. You need to bring some people together. Let's bring some people together. Let's, let's, let's hold an old-fashioned prayer meeting. We need more prayer meetings. We need pr- more prayer meetings. There are no chains that, that, that God cannot break. There's nothing outside his control. And then I love this. This will be my final point. I'll ask Alex to join me. This is my final point. Prayer is the vehicle for the power of God. Prayer is the vehicle for the power of God. And some of you want to see God do the miraculous in your life. Some of you want God to show up in your life. Prayer is the vehicle by which the power of God moves. If you want to get to Hawaii, there's only a couple ways to get there. If you want to fly to Hawaii, you have to get on a plane. If you want to drive to the mountains and you want to get there, you have to get in the vehicle. You have to get in the car. If you want to ride your bike around the loop at Wrightsville Beach, you have to get on the bike. It is the vehicle. And if you want to see the power of God show up in your life, you have to get on the vehicle of prayer. You have to get on the vehicle of prayer. And you have to believe that God can move and work even in your situation. Prayer is the vehicle for the power of God. And a couple final quotes. Tony Evans would say this, kingdom prayer is the divinely authorized methodology to access heavenly authority for earthly intervention. It is God's methodology. It is God's vehicle. Kingdom prayer, it is the divinely authorized methodology. It is the mechanism. It is the means to access heavenly authority for earthly intervention. And then Jim Cimbala in Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. We not have audio for AT? We got audio. Hey, See, you just got to speak some things into existence. You just got to speak some things. Um, I love what Jim Cimbala 
or yeah, Jim Cimbala says in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, our elders and our staff have been reading through that this, this month. It says this, the work of God can only be carried on by the power of God. The church is a spiritual organism fighting spiritual battles and only spiritual power can make it function as God ordained. We're a spiritual organism, church, with spiritual battles and spiritual challenges. And apart from the power of God, um, we won't see God work in the miraculous. We won't see God move mightily in our families and in our church and in our city and around the world. We have to have the power of God. Let me talk to the person that's got a job that's got a career, that's successful, that has achieved a lot, that has done well financially. Let me speak directly to you. Without the power of God in your life, your life will not be successful. Sure, you can pay your bills. Sure, you got a nice house. Without the power of God in your life, well, you will not be able to experience what God wants you to experience. A nice career makes us lazy. A full bank account makes us lazy. Comfort makes us lazy. It's one of the reasons why affliction enters our life is to remind us of our desperate need for the power of God. And so let me just pastorally kind of, um, just kind of conclude. Um, Action item this week, uh, pray earnestly. Action item this week, let's get some people together, all right? Do a phone call, FaceTime, Zoom, in person, be safe, whatever. Let's get, can we get some people together and pray over that thing? Whatever it is that you're facing. It, ta- it, takes, it takes boldness to do that because you actually have to confess that you need help. You've actually got to identify and acknowledge that prison or that chain in your life. And you got to tell other people about that. That's the thing about gathering others together in prayer. You got to be open about your situation and you got to be willing to um, share what your situation is and to receive prayer for it. Let's do some prayer meetings this week. Let's go, think about a time that you could schedule a couple friends, a few friends, community group, whatever. It's a beautiful thing about a community group. Some of the best community groups I've ever been a part of, the meetings are actually prayer meetings. You know, and if you don't get the sermon discussion, that's okay. I won't be offended. Just pray in the name of Jesus over whatever it is you're facing. Um, let's lay some hands on it. Let, let's, let's touch it. And let's trust and believe God to do um, what he can do. Um, I want to end, end with this. Um, this week I was, um, or yesterday actually, I was, uh, I was in my in my house and I was just walking around and um, I don't know what I was doing. I was in my house and I, but I, I remember walking across one of the tables and I saw this a little card um, that was sitting on the table and I'm like oh that's interesting what is that and it looked like it had um, uh, one of my child's handwriting and um, I asked Ashley what it was and she said that's actually Harper's um, um, she, she wrote that uh, last Sunday in Bridge Kids which by the way we've got a great bridge kids ministry don't we at, at the bridge it's amazing um stephanie um i'm not sure she's in the room but stephanie is a powerhouse she's amazing her and her family the johnsons reese is one of our elders 
They're uh, wonderful people. Um, Stephanie, we champion you today. We celebrate you. Um, we honor you. Man, the way you're impacting children for Jesus is amazing. It's great. Those of you that serve in Bridge Kids, I see some Bridge Kids t-shirts in the house today. Um, let's give it up for them and the people that serve in Bridge Kids. And, yeah. Oh, man. My, my middle uh, daughter, Harper, she was, um, she was in Bridge Kids last Sunday, and she this was one of the exercises that they did, and she, she wrote this down, and I, I thought it was fitting and thought that I should share it with you today. Um, but she says this, um, God wants us to ask him stuff. God wants us to ask him stuff. He is powerful. He is loving. He believes in us. It's amazing when your seven-year-old can be prophetic in your life. She would go on to say, he is caring, he is perfect, he is very nice. And she would say, he, he loves everyone. And it says, he wants you to be nice. He wants you to be nice. And then it says, he is strong. I love that phrase at the beginning. God wants us to ask him stuff. Today, I want you to know and to believe that you've got a God that wants you to ask him stuff, that cares about you, that knows your situation, that understands your situation better than you do. And he's longing and he's waiting for you to, to pray to him and to ask for him to show up and to move in your life. And we've got a good God. You don't have to manipulate him. You don't have to force him. You don't have to trick him. You don't have to cross all your T's and dot your I's. He is ready. He is eager. He is willing to show up in your life and to work. He's a good God. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me, church? What is it this week that you need to do some business uh, with God? What, what is it today that you need to submit to the Lord? What is it um, today that you need to ask for the Almighty God to show up in your life and to work and to move? What is that challenge? What is that situation? What is that hardship? What is that frustra frustration? What is it? And can we name it? And can we ask for God to show up mightily in it? God, today we trust in you and we believe in you. We believe that you are good and that you are strong and that you are powerful and that you are mighty and that you are holy and that you are other. You are altogether other. And we trust you today, Lord, and we need you. We, we need you. We need you every second of every day. We need you in every relationship. We need you in every job. We need you in every financial decision. We need you in every marriage. We need you in every family. We need you in every community group. We need you in every discipleship relationship. We need you in every home. We need you in every neighborhood. We need you to work, God. We need your power. We need your help. So, Father, we ask that you would, um, that you would do your work in and through us, God. We need you and we trust you. Do the, do, the, do the miraculous, God. We're waiting and we're trusting. And we're believing um, in you. God, do your work and have your way, we ask in Christ's name.